And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? This is Andrew, founder of Marknology and today's host for all things Startup Hustle, covering e-commerce, Amazon, startups. Uh, this is a podcast by founders for founders. We're going to have some fun um with this one today before we get started shout out to our sponsor for today's episode fullscale.io helping you build software teams quickly and affordably i'm excited for today's guest coming all the way from the czech republic michael welcome to the show thank you very much thanks for having me yeah super excited to uh get to chat i haven't uh connected with anyone in the czech in a couple of years uh at least around entrepreneurship so it's gonna be fun um before we get started and we talk about the Diamond Pro and we talk about, you know, um, your company exactly, I love I loved just starting the show with a little bit of the hero story, getting to know a little bit about you and kind of the why behind, um, you know, the business and how you got into entrepreneurship. Um, did you always know you were going to be like an entrepreneur? Was the Diamond Pro something you always had in mind or was it something you came across? Uh, this was not something I had in mind. And I also love the fact that you're referring to me as a hero. Uh, but, uh, this is the hero backstory. Uh, but, uh, I actually grew up professionally in the corporate side of this business Okay, and I kind of got frustrated with it in many different ways. And I was looking for a lot of changes and I walked away completely and a former colleague of mine had, you know, we, we started discussing this idea and we found it at that time, it was called truth about diamonds. And, I, I never considered the entrepreneurial stat, uh, you know, path, but I guess it's worked out well for me. Was it something that you did on your own or like you said you got approached? Was it something that you did like with a partner or with partners? My, uh, my former colleague, when we were working on the corporate side, uh, Ira Weissman, um, we, we discussed this. He's, he, he officially founded it, but we, 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 you know, I started at the beginning and we created the sites and it was something where we took our institutional knowledge and started porting it over to an entrepreneurial, uh, you know, aspect of it. I love that. Um, as someone that's kind of obsessed with e-commerce and I just love the community. I love the space. Like I've definitely been creating content for the community, um, way before it was like intentionality around like getting more business or growing my brand or anything like that. It was just like, I love this space. I want to talk to it. There's not enough information out there on the web. Like at least, you know, when I got started, that was talking to brands and like, how do brands navigate Amazon? And, um, you know, there's a lot of fear, like the, they'll take this or they take a big percentage or you can't talk to your customers or like, you know, all this like kind of content or fear based like knowledge out there. And I wanted to correct it where I could. I wanted to say, no, this is the facts behind how you can navigate this. or this is the facts behind this. Um, and so it was a, a passion for something that turned into something much more for me, too. Um, let's talk about the early days, because I think that's fun. Were you in the check at that time? Uh, we actually started, I, I was living in Tasmania. Uh, okay, I'm, cool. I'm, I'm originally from New York. Okay. Um, and I was living in Tasmania in Australia. 
and uh, was heading back to the U.S. and we decided to get things started. And, and shortly thereafter, I moved. I moved to the Czech Republic. My business partner and I we worked together in New York, but he's living in Israel, and he was living in Israel at the time. We started this company, and we we probably didn't see each other in person for four years. Okay, uh, before That's before crazy. we actually met again in person. I mean, we're we're good friends, but. You know, just the vet, you know, the way our lives turned out, we were in very different places physically. What, what had you in uh, Tasmania? Uh, I I was uh, fed up with the corporate world and I just... I uh, love this. I want to hear I this mean, story, okay? This is as far from entrepreneurship. I, I was uh, volunteering on farms. Okay. Uh, I was traveling. I first started on the West Coast in the US. Then I went to New Zealand and did a quick stop in Thailand for a little while. And then I, and then I was uh, in Australia and almost a year and a half in Tasmania. Okay. So volunteering on farms, I've heard a little bit about this from yeah, some guys. I played okay. And that's how you just like, you're able to travel, right? Like you just yeah. work on these farms, you get room and board. Um, exactly. Okay. So that's what had you in Tasmania. <laughs> yep. I, I mean, I was there, I was volunteering at a, at a food co-op and, and, and I was working on a volunteering on some farms around Australia and it's about as different as a life as you can get from corporate New York City uh, lifestyle. No, I love that. And uh, what you don't know about me is um, I grew up in Africa until I was 16. I, I grew up to missionary parents. Right. Um, so while I'm in KC and in the Midwest, like I definitely have an understanding of travel and third world countries and um, volunteering specifically nonprofits, you know, kind of how that world works and the allure to it of, you know, just wanting to see a life so different than, you know, either well, mine wasn't how I grew up, but um, I still have that passion in me now to explore new cultures. Like I feel like I'm learning the most whenever I'm traveling and experiencing new things. And even as an entrepreneur, like my creativity is soaring, you know, whenever I'm just experiencing new, um, you Absolutely. know, Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Like I remember, I remember Prague and I know that like, you know, that there's a lot of people here in the US that will never make it to Prague. So as much as, you know, true. people in Europe have been there and things like that for me, uh, it was very rare. And I just remember like experiencing that and being like, this is in a way, this is even white culture uh, that just like I had no idea about kind of stuff, you know, and it was just, it was these mind blowing things. And I was telling you a little bit before the show started that uh, when I was first getting started, I think I, my my employee count was two. So there was three of us, you know, right. and uh, I took a trip to the check. Um, I was double dipping. I was like exploring, but also I had a client there. We were launching a, um, a kid's brand, like a swaddling uh, baby. Like it's sure. a, something that yeah. goes around the dad and the baby. Uh, and I, you know, I met him in a pub uh in like a no-name city and he brought me wine and he was very hospitable and like you know english was definitely a second language and uh he didn't know much to say and we kind of just sat there together and we're just excited to kind of be in each other's presence talking to amazon you know and it was just this uh it was a very special thing to me um but those are the things that like you know it fueled me in my passion of entrepreneurship and building businesses on e-commerce because it was like I have this opportunity to um, work with someone on the other side of the world, chase his dreams around entrepreneurship, and I'm doing it from my computer. And to me, that was just like this light moment. It's, it's really incredible. I mean, the way that we're able to work uh, globally uh, has really changed our approach to business. And 
just life in general. Um, yeah. It does lead to a lot of uh, odd hour uh, Zoom calls, but uh, but it is fantastic. Yeah, and and most just... of the companies that we work with are actually on the West Coast in the U.S., so that's um, a nine hour difference. But uh, you know, as as somebody who who's obsessed with traveling, I, I never have a problem getting on a plane. Yeah. So tell me about. Uh, all right. So you're from New York. I actually have been to New York maybe like a dozen times, and really over just the last two years. Um, you know, it hasn't. It wasn't like a lifetime of going to New York or anything. Um, falling in love with Brooklyn, obviously. Um, you know, even Marknology has clients in the East and West Coast, so we have kind of these middle hours at our office yeah. where um, it's kind of a late start, go into the evening, so we can just accommodate as many as many brands as possible. Um, Tell me about your family, like growing up, did you, you grew up into like, was your dad working with diamonds? Like you said, you grew up uh, in corporate. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, when I say I grew up, I meant I grew up professionally. Uh, I, about halfway through university, I was studying uh, accounting and finance and I realized that I did not want to go into the banking or accounting worlds uh, under any circumstances. Mm. And my uncle worked for one of the largest manufacturers, diamond manufacturers in the world at the time. And, uh, he got me a part-time job doing admin work there. And it, it was an, it's definitely an interesting business, even the corporate side. Um, it's a commodity. That's also a, that's also an end user product, a retail product. So it's uh, very interesting how you manage that business. And I, I, I grew to it and, and it real I grew into it, uh, quite well. And I accidentally, just fell into uh, a relationship with uh, one of the top clients for for the company, one of the largest retail chains on the West Coast. And the, the diamond buyer there loved me. And that just launched my career. You know, my okay. the, the owner of our company, he was based in Israel. He walked into the New York, the New York office. He had no idea who I was. He just saw that in, the, in one of the sales rooms that one of the company's top clients uh, was sitting there with somebody who he did not know. And he walked in to, you know, to say hi. And she was just was effusive in her praise of me. And he went to, over to the computer. He saw I was doing pretty well on the numbers side as well. And that was it. My career was launched cool. went from admin straight straight into the management and sales side. I love that. Um, it's a people business, you know, business at the end of the day, like there isn't a matter. There is the point of you have to do great work and to be noticed and those kinds yeah. of things. But at the end of the day, it's like. It's, it's meeting the right people. Um, I've got some funny diamond stories. I wouldn't say funny. I've got some interesting <laughs> diamond stories for someone that doesn't come from wealth. There's no reason why I should be around that many diamonds. Um, you know, uh, I, I rode in a, a tuk-tuk in Thailand uh, with an Israeli family that was in the diamond business. Um, and I didn't ask too many questions because I'm smart enough not to, you know, but, uh, I didn't, pro but I wasn't pushing. It's pretty um, we, normal there. That's, that's fine. Yeah. We just, uh, you know, I asked them, they were a family, like, uh, they had a couple of kids that were my age, maybe in their twenties. So it was like, you know, that kind of family, we were headed to the full moon festival and, right. um, they said, yeah, they were from Israel and they, um, they worked in diamonds and they were there on vacation and we just spent, you know, a few hours together kind of between the tuk-tuk and, and our first drink probably, um, another time, uh, you know, I've had an interest in diamonds. It's always been something that's, um, I kind of just want to know more based on being from Africa. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there was times in Congo and, and I don't know if people even believe me sometimes when I tell this kind of stuff, but you know, I was, I was 12 to 16 when I was in Congo or somewhere around there. And there was times where I was holding in my hand, 
uh, raw uncut diamonds, a handful. Uh, yeah. You know, it would be various Africans coming to my dad, you know, trying to see if he could get diamonds out of the country or is there anything he could do to talk to Europe, you know, about these diamonds and things like that. And if you understand anything about the diamond trade and blood diamonds in Africa, um, they're not all that way, but there's there's chaos there. Right. And so people can't imagine <laughs> holding holding a handful, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, there is there is chaos there, but I mean, Congo I mean, their production is less than one tenth of one percent of the of the overall industry. You know, the overwhelming majority is coming from South Africa and Botswana. Yeah, because they can't. Like they're not. They're not commercialized. They're not industrialized. They can't right. get it out. So, you know, there's tons of diamonds there, but I have no idea what actually sells. I just remember, you know, it being something very like uh, just in your face, like you know, they were just coming by yeah. the, the house with a bunch of diamonds. Um, you know, I think that country is in just such um disarray that yeah and i also lived in botswana as well so before congo was botswana um didn't have any diamond stories there but a completely different country uh you know as is south africa too so yeah um just some you know those some of those countries run off of you know their their minerals and um their exports and things like that so it was um you know it's something that the world cares about uh and it was something that i didn't know much about you know and so it's always been something that just interests me in that way um talking about um when you guys decide hey like let's create a business around this let's go back to that for a second um your partner is in you guys have you didn't see each other for four years so you guys weren't together um and he's like uh I would love to know the timeline on this, but he was like, you know, let's just create a site uh, that is about um, educating customers on diamonds. And what was the goal like in those days? Was it just to create content? Was it to like, was it affiliate marketing from the beginning? It, um, yeah, it was, it was affiliate marketing from the beginning. We, we never in our wildest dreams thought that we would grow to the size that we have. Uh, but the general idea was that, you know, buying a diamond, most people buy one, maybe two or three diamonds or diamond jewelry in their life, pieces of diamond jewelry in their life. And there is absolutely no way that those people walking into a store are a match for the salesperson who's working on commission, who might have some, you know, undesirable mm. items in his inventory that have been dead weight on his books for the last two or three years. And there's just no way that he's a match from, a, from an educational point of view. To, to understand what makes a diamond valuable, what makes it less valuable. And uh, we wanted to help people uh, get the best bang for their buck, avoid different scams. But really, we wanted to, to just show people how a diamond expert would buy a diamond. Um, you know, people have these uh, misconceptions about quality and whatnot, what, what qualities they should be going for. And they end up spending their money in all the wrong places. Okay. And you know, buying a diamond is a zero sum game. Um, if you're spending on a certain quality, that means you're sacrificing on another quality or you're just sacrificing on size, unless you have an unlimited budget. And we wanted people to understand that equation a little bit better so that they can make the right decision for themselves. I love it. That's how I felt about Amazon. That's what I was trying yeah. to get at was like, uh, if you know the info, you're like, you're getting all the wrong info. I want you to actually know so you can make an informed decision on is this good for your business or not, not just operate based off of what people are telling you. 
Um, And I definitely am the person that hates being sold to. Like, I don't mind being sold to if it's great salesmanship. Okay. But when it just feels like, you know, they're just like, hey, you should wear this yellow shirt. You're like, I'm a ginger. I don't look great in yellow. Why are you selling me the yellow shirt? You know, like, uh, not everyone has the ability to stand up to a really strong salesman or saleswoman. So I can definitely understand, like, um, why you guys created that. Like, what year did, did the Diamond Pro first come about? Uh, so the, the truth about diamonds, we, we that was our original name. Okay. Now we're the Diamond Pro. Uh, we came about about 2010. Okay, so uh, I was beginning end, end of 2009, beginning of 2010. Um, we uh, we were very fortunate. We 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 managed to uh, uh, get the website truthaboutdiamonds.com from somebody that we knew, uh, which means that it was already uh, it was already ranked uh, in SEO uh, as an established website didn't have any traffic, but the content that we created for it immediately started to get uh, traction. And uh, yeah, I mean, thinking about it in 2010, not to interrupt, but thinking about it in 2010, um, one, that's a prime time for affiliate marketing back in the day. Um, you know, it was like, it, it was still like cruising. Um, and people were talking about it and it was an e-commerce topic. Um, and two, the, the forethought, I think to, to think of this and like launch at that time was, was crucial. Um, but I would also say that people's trust around e-commerce wasn't fully recognized either at that time. So you had that hurdle that maybe now people wouldn't think of, but back then getting people to spend quite a bit of money online was a new concept. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, there's still people, I mean, it's, it's the, the percentage of people that are hesitant, uh, is shrinking every year. And definitely mm-hmm. the last, uh, couple of years have accelerated, uh, people's willingness to purchase online. Uh, you know, buying a diamond is an emotional, uh, process in many ways and people just, you know, definitely more traditional people, older people in that sense were wanted to feel the products. And, you know, I, I would hear that question all the time. And I'm sitting here, I'm standing in shoes that I bought from Zappos. I mean, mm. you know, I've, I've been buying clothes, buying shoes online for, for, for ages already at that point. And uh, I understand that it's a larger purchase, but, uh, you know, from our, from our perspective, it seemed a no-brainer to give mm. buying a diamond online a try. The business model afforded uh, the the companies that sell them to sell them at a, a, a much lo- lower price uh, because they didn't have the same type of overhead that brick and mortar retailers have. Yep. And at the same time, what we just talked about with the salesperson and that 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 lack of knowledge that a customer is going to have walking in, it's impossible to walk in in thirty minutes and and you're going to be blown away if a salesperson's good at his job. He's going to do everything he can to uh, make you fall in love with a diamond. And you're sitting there looking at this diamond in a store with perfect lighting that's meant to make the diamond sparkle as much as possible. You're making an emotional purchase. This is sometimes you're going together yep. with, your, with your partner. And it's so hard to keep all of those little minutia uh, in your head to make sure that you don't make a drastic mistake and purchase something that's uh, worth a lot less than you think it should be. 
Yeah, and I hate the process of like having to kind of hide your emotions and whatever in order to negotiate with the yeah. salespeople, right? Like if I want to feel excited or happy or like this is amazing, I want to be able to like look to my partner or whoever and be like, this is amazing, isn't this beautiful without the salesperson be like, ooh, I got them. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I like to, I don't have like to have to be like rigid and just like, it's cool. What, what else you got? You know, if I loved it, like I want to love it. Uh, and I think that that's something that I feel like in that store. So I'm very much with you. I've also taken on the combat of, of, you know, before the market was ready to buy stuff online, you know, I've been doing this, uh, I haven't been doing it since 2010. So you got me beat, but I'm uh, 10 years into the industry. Um, and even then there was people, Amazon, you know, was websites were better, but the people weren't buying on Amazon, you know, um, there's, there's jewelry, fine jewelry now on Amazon. And the two ladies that started that category on Amazon have now gone and created their own site and Etsy and all of that kind of stuff, you know, for the smaller makers that aren't selling as fine in gyms, there's, um, you know, you guys probably paved the way in a lot of ways for, you know, what we're doing now, the, the big, the big, uh, websites that really started getting people used to those kinds of things and feeling more trust there. I think it's a matter of the pros and cons, you know, um, yeah. sure. You're buying online. Um, okay. How do you, how do you fix like returns or scams or those kinds of things? Cool. We have these, these procedures in place, but you're not having to deal with a salesman or only have the stones that are at this shop or, you know, this or that. Yeah. Like, I would think that your guys' selection, if you're partnering with multiple um, retailers was massive in comparison to anything else out there. Yeah, and 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 even at that time, I mean, the the, the industry has grown tremendously. The online uh, aspect of the industry has grown tremendously. Um, but even in 2010, uh, Blue Nile was a publicly traded company. Um, they were they were doing at that point, you know, 200 million dollars, 250 million dollars in sales a year. Wow. Uh, you had James Allen that was probably doing something similar to that. I mean, these were massive companies that. Uh, people knew about if you just do you know a quick Google search, you're going to be seeing you know chatter on 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 financial blogs and whatnot whether you should be investing or not. These weren't you know if people were really nervous about it being a scam, you know that's 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 a bit of, a bit of a stretch. And when you talk about return policies, that's actually the flip side. The overwhelming majority of physical retailers do not offer full refunds. They don't do it. They offer you know trade-ins. They let you exchange. Mm -hmm. But if the guy screwed you the first time and then you realize you made a mistake, how exactly are you going to get better value the next time you walk into that store? Yep. Why would every, you want to like every have legitimate to online retailer is offering 30 or 60 days money back and they even pay for return shipping usually. So because in 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 the in the minds of at least like the retailer um shipping a diamond is nothing. In, re in regards to like uh, just the price point, right? It's, it's a high price point item. It's small. You can probably ship it like, you know, insured or expedited or whatever yeah. um, for a fraction of like, let's say a trailer hitch, you know, or something that's just not made for e-commerce. Um, this is funny, but uh, growing up uh, in college before I got into like my career and, and I went to school for computer science, um, I was working with a UPS uh the shipper, right. you know, I was working in the warehouse and um, I loaded trucks and, um, you know, probably a couple times a week, we have a big uh, uh, diamond retailer here in Kansas City called Hellsburg and they're a big, you know, I'm, big... I'm familiar with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're a big family in Kansas City as well. Um, lots of great things to say, but they, they, um, 
they shipped a lot of their product through UPS Air. Um, and I would go work in, uh, um, you, it was highly secured and you went in there and it was cold cause it was coming out of the belly of a plane and, you know, we were handling diamonds and it was kind of cool to know that and just be like, we know that these packages were like had a bunch of diamonds and they were moving a lot of product. This would have been like 15 years ago, maybe, or something like that. You know, um, you should, you should have seen 47th street in Manhattan. I mean, that oh, would, uh, I, I have no I mean, doubt. They had uh, like in the parking areas, like just like on the sides of the street, they had them, you know, coned off. And there was usually people with uh, submachine guns there. And you would have uh, you would have all the three the three major uh, the three major uh, uh, armored car companies would be working because, you know, we're not just talking about packages to retailers, but there would be a five, ten million dollar shipment coming from, you know, the manufacturing houses or the sorting houses in Israel, India or China. And and then you would have FedEx. And I remember once it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a like somebody trying to steal diamonds. Uh, somebody uh, was, I think, mugging somebody else or trying to pickpocket somebody else. And all of a sudden somebody started screaming just out of nowhere. There were like 30 undercover police officers. There were people dressed as Hasidic Jews. There were people dressed as, you know, like everything. You just you would not even believe this. And they just converged. It was a mistake to try that on on Forty Seventh Street. I mean, yeah, the, someone the made a mistake pickpocketing that day. Yeah, it was it was fascinating. No, that's cool. Um, okay, so bringing us back on topic. So, okay, so you're launching the site, like you know, you're like we you bought a site, um, the truth about diamonds. Um, you know, you started building content there. Like, what was your plan from the early days besides just? educating customers like when you and your partner came together was it like we're just going to create a website about content we're going to link out to these retailers what was some of the major like um you know pushback you had from the retailers was there any pushback or were they all just kind of open to the idea of finding another sales channel um they were they were pretty open to it right away i mean these companies already had affiliate affiliate programs um so, some of the companies were more on board than others and we just you know, naturally we gravitated as long as as long as the quality was to the level that we that we believed in, uh, you know, we would gravitate towards them. Um, it really was um, we're 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 a written content site and we're working now. We're diversifying a bit on other things, but it really was just about getting our knowledge out there. And there's unlimited amounts. Uh, you know, at this point, we have 400, you know, major articles on our website. We have thousands of other blog posts that answer specific questions. Everything that we've done is SEO based. Uh, yep. we, we've never paid for advertising and it's really just providing rich content. We believe that there was a market that there were people who were looking for educational based answers as opposed to what you would refer to as transactional based, um, which, you know, the major Sales copy versus like true those. content. Yeah. Yeah. Like I something I'm learning about the difference too, just in my own business is like sales copy versus just good content, you know, and, yeah. and good content is something that can come out of me pretty easily. Like in the written way, sales copy is something I need to work on. You know, I'm just not great at um, pushing, you know, through copy or like, you know, getting that voice out. So definitely understand the difference and um, can tell when you're being sold to versus when you're just being educated. Yeah. And, you know, we're always looking, you know, obviously we're always looking to, improve our conversion on our site that the people who are reading the content, you know, we believe in the retailers that we partner with. So we're always looking to, to improve. But at the same time, uh, you know, you're referring to Hellsberg, a company like that is sitting on, you know, millions and millions of dollars of inventory that they have to that they have to move. 
we're not sitting on anything. We don't have any pressure to sell any particular person. If, we're, if our sales dropped by 50% tomorrow, it wouldn't really affect our bottom line. It might mm. affect you know, our, our investment into more content and whatnot and down the road, but we don't have that overhead. So we're not pressured to, to do what we call the hard sale. Yeah. So we're able to just really focus on creating high quality content for those end consumers. I love it. So um, before we move into the next part, once again, shout out to our sponsor, Fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. Um, if you're needing to add to your content or add to your development team, Fullscale.io is a great place to start. Uh, Michael, understanding where you guys like got started and the why and what you're trying to solve, like where are you guys going now as we head into 2022 and beyond? Like what's next for the Diamond Pro? You guys said you're... Um, you know, you're a content site, um, but kind of left left a little bit of room there that maybe you guys are doing some other things like, you know, what's next for you guys? Well, you know, we've definitely seen and, and this is every company should always be looking at the the, ch the trends and the way people are uh, utilizing their their, their site. Uh, but overall, I mean, you just look at the difference, the, the different ways that people are consuming media uh, and interacting with media nowadays is just so different than it was even four or five years ago. I'd say um, five years ago, 90% of our readers were coming on a desktop and now it's 85% are coming on mobile. And, you know, we used to do a, a steady uh, amount of uh, business uh, answering personal emails and we're still happy to do that. But most people aren't looking to write, type out a long email explaining their situation on, uh, on, on their phones. And we saw that drop dramatically over the last five years. And we pivoted more towards passive marketing and, and affiliate clicks on our site. And the, our business has grown tremendously during this time. Um, but we're also seeing, looking towards the, I'd say the present and the future. In some ways, the present for us is the future because we see mm -hmm. innovations in, in media, but that usually hits people in their you know, teens and early 20s. That's not really the diamond buying demographic at that point. So we yeah. have a little... A little bit of a runway there that we can that we can adapt to, um, and you know the way people have consumed di you know digital content, video has really uh, you know gone through the roof. And we 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 do have a YouTube channel, uh, the Diamond Pro YouTube channel, and we're we're looking at different ways to reach out to those people and to really uh, help people meet them where they're looking. Um, you know, we notice a lot of people want to let's say mimic uh, celebrity engagement. So we're trying to do content for that. Um, engagement rings, not, not the actual proposals. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, you look at all the, the different media platforms, how to, how to adapt to Instagram, how to adapt to TikTok are, are really, you know, important, uh, important issues that every company is facing. So uh, we're just trying to keep on top of it. I love it. So moving into like more, more video, more audio, things like that, like this podcast, for example. Exactly. Um, but I love that on the on the video side, you know, for me, my business is constantly a, a lesson and um, constantly learning as well. You know, it was at the beginning, you know, there's a lot of uh, guys trying to do their own Amazon FBA thing. And so, you know, Instagram was a fine channel for that. Uh, if I'm looking for brands and manufacturers, that's LinkedIn. You know, um, there can be some on Facebook because a lot of those business owners or those manufacturers are live, existing on Facebook because uh, it's just a different uh, demographic of age there. Right. Um, you were right about TikTok. Like, that's not probably your purchaser. But if you're playing long game, you know, TikTok is a great channel for entertainment 
uh, type of content or educational type of content, like real quick yeah. and easy, like notice the difference in this one and this one, or like how to clean your diamond or like, you know, things like that, um, how to maintain it or like, you know, some little quick, quick tips that like, you know, when that age demographic uh, gets older to the point where they are buying, they might have been consuming your content for a couple of years and have that trust and be like, I'm going to go to the diamond pro and I'm ready to buy. Right. Or like, you know, um, so I completely understand. Uh, and it's easier said than done as well to oh, adapt absolutely. your content when you've spent years creating content in a certain way, um, you know, to now need to create that. I know like the podcast for me was a big, uh, had to overcome a big challenge of my, in my own mind um, of having my, my voice just out here you know, hours a week yeah. on a podcast, just talking, you can sound like an idiot, uh, not used to being in front of the screen or the mic, uh, you know, can sit and think about my, my pieces or my emails all day long, you know, all exactly. night. Long. Some of our earlier videos are painful to watch. Don't Skip watch them. <laughs> you know, uh, no, I'm with you on that. Um, so no, it's going to be super fun. And I'm definitely going to, I'm going to have to subscribe just to, just to stay up to date on what you guys are doing. And, um, you know, I'm always looking to be educated and it is something that, um, I'm someone that can make a quick decision when I feel informed, uh, and when I feel like confident about the subject, but it can be, can be one of the most indecisive people if I just don't feel like I have the information to make a good decision. Um, so very much love what you guys are doing and, and love what's next for you guys. Um, as a, as a startup founder and, you know, like we're in 2021, what's some advice you have for just anyone listening today about, you know, starting something new, um, you know, in, in this landscape and being, being able to change, what's some advice you just give to any, to any early founders that are tuning in? Um, I mean, this may be cliche, but I think every person before they start out on whatever they're doing, they need to get some experience in sales. Uh, if you don't have experience selling, you're never you're never going to make it as a, as an entrepreneur. Doesn't matter what you're doing, you're always selling. Um, I know growing up, my father was a nuclear physicist and an engineer, and he he went out in the entrepreneurial uh, world, and he did not have that sales you know it, you know that, that he didn't have it innate in him. And he never taught himself how, how, to, how to do it. And it didn't matter how good his idea was. He was never able to be successful mm. in getting translating that idea into, into a business. I love that. And yeah, it's, it's so important. Uh, it doesn't matter what you're doing. I mean, if you grew up, if you grew up with missionaries, I mean, their, their job is sales. They're selling uh, the gospel. They're, yeah. they're selling a higher authority. But, uh, you know, whatever it is, you, you learn that from, from a, uh, you know, from a very young age and it, it carries with you no matter what we do. I don't, I don't actually engage in sales at this point in my life, but, you know, every negotiation we have with uh, the partners, the, the, the online retailers that we work with, every negotiation that I'm making with uh, different, you know, digital content companies, you're utilizing that, that ability to figure out how to make uh, a, a transaction work work best for yourself and hopefully work best for the other people as well. So I think that's, uh, you know, imperative for people to learn. No, I think that is fantastic advice. And honestly, um, not something I've heard before when I, when I kind of okay. open up that question, while I think it is maybe the most important thing you have as a startup founder, you have to sell yourself. You know, one thing yeah. my dad taught me or, or that I learned by watching my dad was, the difference in being able to sell something that you believe in is completely different than, you know, maybe selling that inventory, the diamond inventory that you don't want to sell. That's just been sitting there on your shelf. 
Yeah. Um, the same thing happens in e-commerce when brands are coming to me, we've sold out of everything. That's great. And they're like, Hey, I've got a hundred left of each of these three. And I'm like, these, this is the shit. This is the shit that no one's buying. And you're wanting me to sell this. I hate this. You know, um, I still am that way, but sometimes that's, that's the best sales work that can be. And it doesn't mean that you're selling somebody garbage, but you're finding the person who wants garbage. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I remember when we started, uh, when I started at, uh, the, the manufacturing side, I was managing a $3 million inventory and my first, uh, you know, first month I made this amazing sale. I sold like $350,000. I made a great profit margin on it. And I was talking to the the founder of the company was a guy named Leo Schachter. At that point he was retired and he was saying, listen, you can talk all you want about how great of a sale it is, but that profit margin means nothing until you sell the bottom 10% of your inventory. Ooh, and okay. No, it was a good. That's what would be lost if you didn't sell that. Yeah, if I if I have to sell that for a fifty percent loss, uh, then it doesn't matter. So I actually, at that point, I started focusing when I would get inventory in. I would first take the least desirable, and I would I would try to sell it, even if I sold it at a loss. And sometimes it looked ridiculous on my balance sheet. I would just move out the stuff that you know nobody was going to want. But then I'm just free. I know I know the numbers that I lost already, and I know how much I have to make in profit. Whereas, you know, if I, if I sell something for 10% profit and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm only getting 20% losses on the other half, I'm breaking even, I'm not making any money and there's, there's no way I can move forward from that and I'm just going to have dead inventory. That's brilliant. Honestly, if that's the only thing you guys got from the show, um, I love it. It's kind of the same thing as like, you know, you've got a, you've got a hard day in front of you. You take, you take on the hardest stuff first, you know, whatever exactly. time that takes, whatever you get that out of the way and then you can try to cruise through the day crushing the stuff that you like doing or that's easier to do. Brilliant. Um, you know, as we wrap up here, Michael, um, what are some ways that people can contact you besides just getting on, you know, the Diamond Pro website? What are some ways that people can follow along on on, on LinkedIn or, or connect with you? Well, absolutely. I mean, Diamonds, Diamonds.Pro is, uh, is our website and uh, that's really where we have all our content. You can definitely find us on Facebook, Diamond, the Diamond Pro instagram diamond pro official and as we mentioned before the youtube channel diamond pro uh oh. we we put out uh, quite a bit of content there as well oh awesome um and we'll have all of his links in the in the bottom of the show when, when we when we post as well so you guys can find him there uh it's been an absolute pleasure on the sh pleasure having you on thanks again to our sponsor for today's episode full scale io helping you build software teams quickly and affordably michael thank you and enjoy the rest of your evening thank you for having me it was a blast Thank you, Hustlers. We'll see you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.